a lot of things that I've talked to my father about like because I used to razz him a lot getting older and and now I'm like oh oh I was I was a jerk I was just mean (laughs) just mean to my father for no reason so the meme I saw speaking of getting old is uh uh Will Wheaton is now the same age as uh Jean-Luc Picard at the beginning of Star Trek The Next Generation as uh, Patrick Stewart, right? Yeah. It was like, dang, right in the feels, man. <sighs> okay, and hello, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, and beyond. We are your old, old people talking about board games. Uh, I'm John. Joining me today is... Jamie. The youngest one here, Alexis. And Ariel. That will be remembered. That right in there. That will be remembered. This is like a telltale game. No, yeah. we're that old. It's probably not going to be remembered. That's fair. Yeah. We're just going to shuffle that out. We don't have space you, for that type of information. You know what I do remember, though, that my girlfriend doesn't because I realized she was one? It's 9-11. I learned that over the Christmas. It disconnected, and I was like, wow, I didn't really, I mean, it's only four years, but it was weird. I'm really trying to start this this podcast on the high note, and at <laughs> every turn, we have taken a dip down because now 9-11, great way to start. How was the store last week, everybody? <laughs> Insanely busy. Yeah. It was very, very good for Christmas shopping. We uh, we are recording technically on the 26th today, so the day after Christmas. Everyone sitting here looks like they've been through war. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I just, I just wake up like this. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, but no, the, the actual last-minute shoppers were definitely out in force from what I'm hearing. Absolutely. So you know, many stockings stuffed. Yeah, exactly. Christmas Eve was slower than normal. Well, not slower than normal, just slow like normal. You know, it, it always starts off with a burst of energy from, like, when the store opens for, like, three hours. As mm-hmm. everybody's going, oh, crud, I forgot so-and-so. And then it just dies off. And um, so the we were expecting that because it's happened every year. And so the staff that was working got a lot of cleaning and organizing and all those things done. And they just left a list of, here's all the stuff that we got done, which was pretty nice for everybody working today. But Saturday, as the 20th, the 23rd is always crazy for us. And then it was a Saturday this time. And it was an interesting day. It was, uh, we didn't see a single customer until about, I think the first transaction was at 945. So like the first 45 minutes, we were kind of like, you know, twiddling our thumbs and catching up on stuff that was going on and then the first customer came in and then the door just kept opening and it just never stopped Hmm. and it was a it was kind of a crazy ride um anna was restocking as fast as she possibly could and was barely keeping up with everything and but the whole week was kind of pretty busy i was downstairs most of the week with ryan opening boxes trying to restock the shelves and uh, Alexis was trying to order enough products so we had something to put on the shelves. And it all sold. It did. It all sold. The store is completely empty right now. It's a, yeah. It's, we have yeah. nothing. Because <laughs> well, people would be like, do you have this? No. Do you have this? Uh, let me check them. No. Do you have this? No. Oh, we got some of those yesterday. No, I sold them last night. Oh. Yeah, there was a lot of that going on Saturday. I just unboxed those. 
No. Gone now. Gone forever. Yeah. It was fun. It was it was a good time. Everybody was in a really good mood. Saturday was like 57 degrees or something, which for central Illinois, that's kind of unheard of for it to be 57 degrees. Yeah. I saw an internet meme going around. It's like the holidays that we've actually had a white winter are in like listed nine years. But I realized that there was no markings on the meme of where it was originated from, what the, the sources were. The one I were. saw was from Champaign. Oh, okay. It was a um, newspaper in Champaign had put that out, or one of the radio stations or TV stations put it out. And it was only like nine years since like 1929 where there was an actual white Christmas. I feel like I remember more than that. But as Alexis has really stated, I'm pretty old. So maybe I'm remembering beyond those years. Back before 1929? Yeah. If you want to be horrified, I have some nieces and nephews that are, you know, under 10. I learned today they don't even own a sled because there hasn't been really enough snow for them to go sledding in their lives. Oh, my. I mean, I never owned one, but I didn't grow up here. Great. 9-11, then climate change. Let's just keep the topics <laughs> coming. Well, so, But also, I think it was that, that chart, the meme I saw was the days that it actually snowed, as opposed to it had snowed and the snow is still on the ground. That is fair. So those could that be just out. two very different things. Because, you know, normally... When it snows, the snow hangs around for two months. That's fair. Once Ever. it's in, it's locked in. Yeah, it's, it's things that you're not used to. No. But this is Illinois, so also we can get things that don't leave snow on the ground, but everything is still covered in a layer of ice that will forever like haunt you uh, as you grip the steering wheel as hard as you can any place you need to go. So Yeah. Yeah, welcome to Illinois. So during this season where obviously we've gotten no snow and just some paltry rain, but obviously you guys have been super busy, but I have to ask, have you gotten anything on your tables lately to play? Yes. (gasps) I played a lot this weekend, actually. (gasps) Well, tell us about it. Let's see if I can even remember. Well, I was trying to complete some goals that I had for the year, which one was the alphabet challenge, and then one was 10 games by myself. Okay. 10 solo rolls? Yeah. And... So I, I knocked out the X and the Z, which were the last two for the alphabet. What you, would you pick for X? Uh, it was a print and play. It was on Board Game Geek, so I, I say it counts. I had to print it out. It was called Xmas Sweater, which was fitting for the season. Okay. And then for Z, I did Zombicide Gear Up. Nice. Which I actually really liked. Nice. Yeah. Being the top, like, flipping right, rolling rights, whatever you want to call them. It's nice. up there. Hey, rock on. Have you done the zombie side rolling right? I actually have not. As the zombie fan in my life, that it's, zombie side fan, I should say. It's on my shelf, and I think it's in my pile of shame that's still sealed in plastic. That's fair. Well, you could bring yours, or I could bring mine on the first. There we go. I can do that. <coughs> and then I played Three Sisters solo, which I've played a lot with people, but never solo. And Three, what's... Which one is Three that? Three Sisters is another roll and write. It's about a garden. You're growing corns, pumpkins, and beans. Okay. They're like the three sister crops. I was one because there's the three sister crops and there's the three sister mountains, and I was wondering which crops. one it was. Okay. Yep. And then Pacific Ocean, which was a Kickstarter I got, a little tiny set collection card game. I just Pacific Ocean animals. I, I'm a sucker for animal games. Bandita. Those are the ones I played alone. And then I played Munchkin for the first time, but I'm not sure we played it right because I didn't. You've never played Munchkin? No. Really? I mean, now I have. Wow. Did you just do straight Munchkin, or did you do a variant? Um, they had a Christmas one, but I don't. It went by really fast. I don't know if it usually does. Uh, it depends on how much of a jerk everybody wants to be, because 
usually when one person's about to win the game, everybody else teams up on that person to try to smack them down from how dare you be at level nine already. Exactly. It was it was good. I mean, I understand why people like it. Yeah, it's just a fun little gateway game with a ton of bad puns. Just awful. There are a lot of people that really, really hate Munchkin, though. I, think I wonder if it's just from overplay. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think it's that bad of a game. I think for a lot of people, it was one of those, like, there's many of us, I will include myself, not the hugest fans of Catan. It's not because Catan's a bad game, but it, Catan led us into the larger board game space, and now we see it as like a... Like, oh, that, that kind of got me here. It paved the road, but it's not really what I would consider a game nowadays. I think that's sometimes how people see Munchkin, too. Yeah, I can see that. Ariel, did you get a chance to play anything? Um, not really. Most of the games I play uh, got canceled. I did get to flip through Cyberpunk 2020, though, so that was exciting. Oh, the, the books? Yeah. 2020, not 2077? Oh, yes, 2020. I have Cyberpunk Red and Cyberpunk 2020. Okay. Yeah, 2020 just sits on my shelf looking very yellow. (laughs) Well, I gave, I had Cyberpunk 2020 from when it came out in the 90s, and I gave mine to to Tony, right? And then, like, oh, two weeks later, they announced Cyberpunk Red, Cyberpunk 2077. Like, all the new stuff was Mm -hmm. coming out. And he's like, Do you want this back? I'm like, Man, I haven't opened any of those books since, like, 1995, so if you're going to get some enjoyment out of it, you go for it. But he did bring them in one day, and we flipped through them to see how many things from, you know, 1995 actually exist. And it was was a fairly large amount as long as you consider wearables versus implants. Yes. Right? Because wearables with, like, watches and Fitbits and rings and, and Google Glasses, which are... I guess, coming back, and Facebook glasses are coming back. Oh, Meta. So the Meta glasses are not Google Glass. But aren't they the same basic thing? They don't have a heads-up display. The Meta glasses only do recording. They're like a small recorder in your... Oh, I thought they had the heads-up display. I do not believe they have okay. a heads-up display. I'm going to be doing some fact-checking while you guys talk about that. Okay. Well, there was, But there was a lot of stuff that if you looked at it from that point of view as wearables that existed, you know, that... that they thought were going to exist. We just don't have cybernetic eyes or anything like, you know, Jordi LaForge's uh, yeah. visor. Yet. We don't have them yet. It's true. I'll sign up for them day one. I'll visors. be a beta tester. You want oh, some visors? No, I don't want a visor. Give me the, replace my eyes. Give me eyes that work for once. Maybe one <laughs> at a time. No. I mean, heck, we only do cataract surgery one <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Jump in both feet, both irises. That's what I say. Uh, no. Hard pass. Oh, I also played Everyone is John. Oh. It's a one-page oh, RPG. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, I've gotten to play that once, and it was a blast. Uh, it's a one-page RPG, is that what you said? Yes. Uh, everyone's playing as this uh, poor bloke named John, and they just remove their impulse control. This is like, they have goals. Oh, they're going to get those goals. One way <laughs> or another, we are accomplishing things today. So everyone in the game plays as John. The same John? The same John. So basically you are playing one character all together, trying to make him do things. So is this a little bit like that Pixar movie with all the emotions that were running rampant? That would be Inside Out. Out. Yeah, a little bit. Probably a little bit more being John Malkovich. Okay. Oh, that's a whole different ball (laughs) of wax right there. Yeah. That's very different. Okay. Did you see Inside Out's getting a sequel? Yes. No, but I'm so excited. Yeah. That's like my favorite, favorite Pixar Disney movie. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's a rough one though because Inside Out was a crier. So 
you know, I, I, I haven't watched The Crier in Disney movies and Pixar movies as often as I watch the other ones. Uh, update on the Meta Glasses. They do not have a heads-up display. However, they can play music. Like, they, they rest against your bones and then will, like, pound music into the back of your heads. So. Okay. Yeah. Meta. Really cutting edge right there. Yeah. Seems fairly low useful level. Usefulness. Well, Unless you want to go in somewhere and record everybody and not have them know that you're recording them, I guess. Which is kind of a... Yeah. Naughty thing to do. Complicated. Yeah. Speaking of worlds that are a bit dystopian. Okay. Let's talk about a certain dystopian series that I feel like we never have highlighted properly enough on this podcast. Simply because we don't we don't bring in the people that really know it intimately. And that is Warhammer 40k. Okay. The grim dark future. The grim dark future. Which is going to become a little bit more real thanks to one Henry Cavill. Now, unless you uh, totally ignore Henry Cavill uh, at every turn, which it's kind of hard to at this point. The man's everywhere. Uh, he is a huge Warhammer 40K fan. So much so that in interviews, even when they don't ask him about 40K stuff, he will point to chandeliers and say, oh, did you know that this looks exactly like a blah, 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 blah from 40K? And three people in the audience of whatever is that probably gets that reference. But he's avid. Like, we've talked many times. He also times. corrected somebody because they called it, like, WarQuest or something. He's like, no, Warhammer, Warhammer. So he did He did correct an interviewer. I saw that clip, too. WarQuest sounds like the great value brand of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Warhammer. <laughs> but uh, Henry, known also from The Witcher uh, and loves Warhammer, is now kind of trying to dip his toe into... Uh, using Amazon to create a 40K universe for us to actually see. This article comes from Dice Breakers from one uh, Chase Carter. Amazon Inc.'s deal to produce Warhammer 40,000 films and television starring Henry Cavill. Games Workshop signs the overwrites for series, film, and more, while Cavill will produce and star in multiple projects. So first of all, I would just like to ask the people on the table, how into the lore of 40K are you? Alexis, we're going to start with you. Because I know you have to do a lot of ordering for yes. 40K. And are all the words that you read just garbly look gook like I feel about the Pokemon after the first 150? Or are you actually putting together some of these elements? John, yeah. 151. If you got <laughs> Mew is a weird case, okay? I don't really count him in the original 150, but go ahead. Um, most of it's random. Like I, I understand some of it, but not. What do, give us the idea? What do you know about Warhammer 40k, just on a surface level, that you're confident in? Oh, you're asking me something out of nowhere. Yeah, um, I'm that's not good kind of questions. a podcast. That's well, kind of what we do. It's we kind of riff. That. Um, there's different factions and they're fighting each other. And I mean, I could list like the factions and stuff. But Ooh, okay, go for it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew as uh, soon as you threw that out there, I was like, I'll trap her. Necrons, Tyranids, Gene Stealers, Space Marines. Uh, Slanesh is 40, or uh, AOS, yeah. Both. Well, the demons. Most of the demons cross over. That's how they kind of tie the universe together. When the Emperor's children get here, oh, it'll be Slanesh time. I don't know. There's Korn's model. Tau. Corn is a model. That is yeah. true. Yeah. Not Orcs. just a band. Orcs are there as well. All right. See, I think you did pretty good. Serviceable. 
Jamie, I'm going to come to you next. How much do you know about Warhammer 40k lore? Um, 40,000 years into the future, humanity's future, we have expanded off of uh, Earth and out into the universe, and we ran into a whole bunch of other races, and it turns out they don't like us. Yeah. And it actually turns out that we don't necessarily like ourselves no. either. So not only do we have expansion and fighting different races and civilizations we found uh, out around the universe, but we also spend plenty of time fighting ourselves as well because chaos and the demons have infiltrated the ranks of the Space Marines. And those are 15 chapters of the Space Marines. And they have, um, and so now there's fighting amongst themselves, which most of that started with the Horus Harry 30,000 years in the future. That is correct. And then um, we're 10,000 years past that. So excellent recap. I, there's definitely some Wikipedia clicks that you'd have to go through if that was an article, but <laughs> I appreciate it. I, no, I was not reading that. I was reading. No, that. I no, I was saying like yeah. you were just dropping names that I would be like, oh, I need to click on that because I need more information. Oh, like who's yeah. this Horace guy? Who yeah. maybe Ariel? Who I'm gonna guess. You know a bit about 40K. I do know a bit about 40K, mainly all the silly little lore because um, TikTok profiled me. Mm-hmm. I um, got that too. Yeah, I'm not going to go into it, but yeah, I ate like six months of just one minute like short Warhammer 40K content. And my favorite random fact is that the Tau Empire has battle ramen. <laughs> yes. That is their food. Uh, the orcs have color magic. They're magical I did know that fungi. One. I was going to say that. Um, mm-hmm. My one service I have given to the Warhammer 40K community is I convinced a new Warhammer 40K player who wanted to play um, the Demons of Corn to paint all of his models yellow and green. Okay. It's corn. Oh. <laughs> yep. I was I not like following. Yep. Wow. No, that's good. It took me a second, but I got there finally. Yeah, it was uh, my, my public service, uh, my community service for the year. But, Very um, Midwestern. I know a little bit about like the different mechanics of the faction, so I can usually put someone together with like the play style I like. It's like, hey, are you finding someone with a bunch of range? Don't be corn. D- don't do it. You're not going to have a good time, bro. You're going to get picked off at the front. But um, let's see. My favorite, absolute, probably favorite of all time 40K thing is Nurgle. Mm. I absolutely love Nurgle. Uh, the Chaos Lord of Disease, I believe? Yes, good yes. old grandpappy Nurgle. It's mm-hmm. just like you're going to be an ugly, hideous, bloated, plague-infested sack of nasty, but you're going to feel great about yourself. You know, confidence is key. And if yeah. anyone has ever played a game with Ariel, RPG style, you're probably going to realize that's very on brand. Yeah. That fits the vibe. Yes. Mine is uh, that the Space Marines are all clones, and they're anywhere from 9 to 11 feet tall. Half right. They're not technically clones. They are, they're all individuals, but they get genetically modified and have other organs put into them, one of them being the gene seed of the original leader of the Primarch. So they kind of like, they get their DNA kind of overwritten in a way. So they're not technically clones, but you're close. But this is the type of weirdness that I just wanted to exemplify in what we were supposed to expect in the show. Orcs, space ramen, the fact that there's going to be extra people with extra organs and organs and overwritten DNA. And the problem that I really see with this is that there is just so much. Yeah. yeah how do you pick one storyline? Exactly. Right? Because there's, I mean, what, it's been going since 83? Isn't that when I believe that started? Yes. So you've got 
40 years of lore and you're going to pick I mean like I don't even know how many black library books exist. Black uh-huh. library is the the novels that mm-hmm. that kind of give you all the lore. If and you ever walk into a Barnes and Noble, there's a whole section that is just black with gold lettering and that is all the 40k books. Yeah, and uh, I bet you there's got to be 50, 60 mm-hmm. at least, yep. maybe more. Well, there's a bunch of like short uh, series like uh, The Watcher in the Rain is one of the like short stories from 4AK which I think would be really easy to adapt you don't need to know any context for a lot of them it's just like okay you're in the future there's some space soldiers and look Eldritch oh. Whore from The Warp okay so while you were talking I looked it up there are well over 200 Black Whoa. Library titles at this nice. point nice yeah so I was off by almost an order of magnitude <laughs> <laughs> But that's kind of what I'm getting at when this show. So, Lord of the Rings, obviously another Amazon show that... Rings of Power. Rings of Power, to be specific. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think did a really good job. But then again, the lore for Lord of the Rings is quite condensed for all intents and purposes. It's five books, really. Yeah. And and there's room... Six. So, it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy... Right. There's The Hobbit. Right. So I can never Similarian. pronounce it. Similarian. What's the and other the one? The Book of Lost Tales. Oh, I Because they did pull some stuff yes. out of The Book of Lost Tales that was in Rings of Power. That is true. Okay. You got me there. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a condensed lore there that you can Where really just play in the universe. that question next time we play Where Actually? No well, joke. Actually. Uh, well, uh, you're, you're trying to reference the um, college humor game, Um, Actually. Um, yes. Actually. Yes. Yeah. You can write those in. All right, I'm going to have to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you Trap's email. But, um, but, yeah, to your point, yeah, how do you pick a single – I think I think the way that you have to do it – I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I think the way that you have to do it is you have to pick a single storyline probably versus a single bad guy, mm-hmm. right? And whether or not you're going to do that with the um, Space Marines versus Chaos Space Marines, which would be easier probably from a budgetary expense of not having to draw and, and animate – or CGI a bunch of aliens, but you know them or the Tau or somebody. You have to pick a single faction, I think, and you have to talk about these these characters and this these fights that they're in and this story arc of some sort. Right? Yeah. I, I you can't. There's too much. There's not going to be a way for an everyman character to fall into the 40k universe, and we learn alongside of him everything that's going on because yeah. it's almost got to be one of the primarchs. And the story from the Primarchs. For those that don't know, Primarchs are kind of these, uh, the super soldiers of super soldiers. Uh, There was the God Emperor, who was a guy, he was immortal, he made some kids, the kids are the Primarchs. And then they're the ones that lead all of the legions, or at least did most of them in the current timeline, are either dead, on the run, or missing in action. So... Yeah, you would have to choose Primark, but then that would be kind of a historical element. And if you go all the way back there, I personally, I think Henry Cavill, it's time for him to be the bad guy. Uh, I would love to see him as Horus. He was the Primark that basically betrayed the rest of them and split all the legions in half. Did he have some heresy? He had a bit of heresy, just a tad, um, but it spread pretty fast. He was the bad guy in the Fallout movie he was in, or Mission Impossible Fallout he was in. He was. It was a pretty shallow part, though. Yeah. I feel like we could see Henry Cavill being completely just dark and enraged. And, and I feel like there was the, the scene in when Superman 
comes back to life in the Justice League movie, yeah. where he just didn't know what was going on and just brutally took apart the the whole entire Justice League on his own. That is, I think, the intensity that you could see with a Henry Cavill bad guy. Like, the one that turns to see the Flash is still, like, is running. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. It's a good scene. It is a good scene. I'm going to go on left field. I bet they pick from the astronaut militarum, the guardsmen, because there's trillions of them potentially. Ooh, that's fair. Uh, so that could be your everyman, because it's like, hey, were you born in one of these worlds? You're a guardsman. Mm. Enjoy that. You're going to die. So that would be our everyman character, is that it'd just be this guy that enlisted in the army and then realizes just how awful and terrible things are out in the universe? Oh, yeah, he gets dispatched. like, oh, what were we doing? The Tyranids are back. See, I I think we will not see another alien species still if they get a season two, just for budgetary constraints. I kind of go along with Jamie on that. Yeah, probably not, but... You'll probably get like the you know the three second flash of it, and then it'll go on hiatus until there's a new season, or it gets cut. That's well, fine. it says that they're going to do a couple of movies, so there could be. I mean, one route they could do is they could do the intro movie to try to set the stage for everything, and then kick over to a season afterwards. That way, you know, it's kind of the equivalent of like. Uh, when somebody releases like the first three episodes mm-hmm. of the new season or whatever, that's kind of like that. We got to get everybody jump started, and right. then we'll get them onto their weekly fare, right? We could also see it as kind of a Disney move as well with Marvel. With you know, we've had a Marvel movie, and then we do two seasons of Loki, so we'll just chase the popular characters. Mm, that's entirely possible too. Alexis, as the person at the table that knows the least about Warhammer, yes. I'm going to ask the question, what would it take to actually get you interested in the show? That's a hard question, because I was also thinking when you guys were talking, and I think Jamie and I talked about this on the last podcast that didn't work well. I just don't watch a ton of media. Mm. So you like any of the things you just referenced, even though I understand what the Justice League is, never seen it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Henry gotcha. Cavill, I know his name. Never seen The Witcher, never... So I mean, it would, yeah. I, I know how to get you interested. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, Uh-oh. the Adeptus Oritas, the Sisters of Battle. Hot battle lesbians. Well, that could work. <laughs> She's not wrong. She's not wrong. <sighs> that might do it, Ariel. <laughs> I fall for it every time. <laughs> that was hilarious. I'm sorry. That was good. That was good. Speaking of women. Which we don't talk enough about on here. Oh, okay, yes, yes, got it. (laughs) Uh, We did have another news article come in that was actually some really good news, and that is Fort Circle's Votes for Women board game secures second printing following success. Uh, This is coming from Tabletop Tabletop Gaming News. So Uh, can I clarify something real quick? Please do, yes. Fort Circle's the name of the publisher. Yes. Votes for Women's the name of the game. Thank you. I appreciate that. Just the way that it was, the way that it the came sentence, out. The sentence, yeah. Like, you know, it was just, yeah. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, unforgivable. Uh, Fort Circle's <laughs> innovative board game, Votes for Women, dedicated to the women's suffrage movement and ratification of the 19th Amendment, has achieved a remarkable milestone. Following its initial success, the game is now set for print- a second printing, a testament to its widespread acclaim and popularity. Having raised over $13,399 on Kickstarter so far, surpassing its $5,000 goal, Votes for Women has captured the attention of support of 166 backers, with 36 days still remaining in the campaign, concluding on January 26th. So uh, just as an update from when that article was written, it's currently at $36,000. 
36,000. Yes. So, so it has doubled. Oh, all heading towards tripled. Tripled, excuse me. I would taught English, not math. So please do not um, <laughs> ever trust any sort of – people say, how many feet is that? I have no idea. I would literally count my foot like steps. That's how I do that. <laughs> but nevertheless, no, this is some fantastic news about a game that has a, a topic that we don't often see in board games. We often see historical board games or things along those lines. But this is, seems to be much more of an educational slant to it um, and, and more about learning about the suffrage movement as you play the game. Uh, it's come highly recommended. There's been some great moves on it. And I know that we actually sold a few in the store, correct, yeah. Alexis? Yeah. I mean, you know, about one per month. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Um, I haven't actually played it, which now reading more about it and seeing the article and whatnot, uh, I don't know why, because I tend to like historical games, like Herstory, her mm, which this looks a like one. a more intense Herstory. Yes. Um, was good and interesting. Well, her, her story was, that was just like you're a novelist writing about women, and right. it could be any women from any point in time. This is a very specific time period. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be, it would be, it would be a little bit different from that, that That's fair. I think the most interesting thing that I just recently learned about it is you could either have it be competitive, cooperative, or solitaire. Which I knew it could be like a competitor of solitaire, but I wasn't aware it was completely cooperative, too, if you wanted it. So if it's competitive, does someone have to play as the patriarchy? Is that how that works? Uh, maybe. Or maybe there's just some, like, one random character named, like, I don't know, what's an old name? Ruth, Betsy, who's just undermining the entire operation. The saboteur. Maybe it, I just like remember. drama. It looks like the co-op <laughs> version plays against the same, like, the solo version would ah, like you're used to having in a solo game i like how we call them bots even though they're stacks of cards now the term yeah. is just becoming i mean universal. It, it, it's called opobot on here i just oh farmer edith that's the the one in three sisters the solo game i played and she was a word that i cannot say on this podcast thank you for restraining yourself i appreciate that <laughs> Some people forget that we're family friendly and might even have told me that we were family friendly to begin with. And then they'll (laughs) drop bombs that I have to worry about later on down the road. Yeah. Sorry, John. Yeah, I know. That's who who I was talking about. Absolutely. It was you. Um, It was on the the, the missing podcast. It was absolutely Ariel about, about we were almost done and randomly just dropped. We're like, well, all right. Tell John that one was in there. Yeah. Give me a heads up. Thank you. Because now I have to actually edit the thing. Uh, but no, <laughs> this game actually looks like it's doing really well. It was named one of the top games by in 2023 by both Polygon and Vulture. Um, so it's nice to see that it's getting some recognition. Yeah. Now, Jamie, you said that actually a few of your other game stores are having a hard time even keeping it in stock, right? Yeah. I was. There was a thread that I was following that people were just talking about what the fastest selling games were for their store. And, and you know, we've talked about this before that every store's culture is so different that the fastest selling game is often drastically different. And, and this was an one too, where it's, it's, you know, moved out of the store here, kind of dribbled out uh, over time, but other stores, it's like one of their top sellers. And so, yeah, it's just, it's different. And then, like, uh, you know, Kylie's store, Games Unlimited in Pittsburgh, he was saying that one of his top sellers is Junk Drawer. 
We even got drunk drawer in? I don't think we did. I looked at it mm-hmm. and it looked like something that wouldn't do well for us, so I didn't. Yeah, see? That's exactly. Yeah. So, and then he's just like, oh, yeah, it's one of my best selling games. And I'm like, what? What the heck is that game? <laughs> what does it say about us that we have happy little dinosaurs and flame craft? You know your audience. I have, uh, even when I, I barely work the store sometimes, I will usually at least see one copy of Flame Crap walk out the door. Yeah. It, it's too punny to pass up. It's beautiful. I was explaining to somebody the other day, I'm like, there's, there's a card in there that's called Draco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sums up everything yeah. about that game. Critical Roles Bakery. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. And the, the dragon that wants to work at the bakery, his name is Loaf. And then there's Muffin and... Pan. Pan. And then the ones that want to work at the meat shop, one is called Chops and one's called Brisket. Don't forget Hot Dog. Cure. Is there a hot dog? There's hot dog. Oh, I don't think I've dragon. ever seen the hot dog. Uh, I laughed for like five minutes at the hot dog card. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we all like bad puns, apparently, and we are, we're amused by them. But it's just... It's this, it, even here in central Illinois, I remember back when I first bought the store and LCGs were on fire. And, and here at our store, everything was about Netrunner and um, Game of Thrones. Oh, but yes. in Champaign, I was talking to the guys over there and it was all Star Wars, the Star Wars LCG. And they couldn't sell Game of Thrones with their life dependent on it. And whereas Star Wars here is I would order one for the one guy who wanted the Star Wars chapter pack each month when it came out. So it's just culture from stores can be so difficult. Even in the same central location. That is kind of interesting. Yeah. It all depends on what you lean hard to, right? We lean hard at board games and RPGs, and we sell a lot of stuff that um, other stores are like, what the hell game is that even you're even talking about? So if you're a sociology major and you're looking for a thesis, we have an idea for you. Come and figure out why certain card games, board games are so much popular at one store, but like one town away, it's completely different. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that goes back to votes for women, too. I think that it's, you know, it's, it was a more expensive game. It's not an inexpensive game. What was it 75? Uh, 80. 80. So it's a more expensive game, and it's a deep dive into history. And, and sometimes I don't think it had the best – I don't think it's got the best presentation on the box. And yes. that's, that's a big part of it too, right? Someday we're going to do a whole deep dive. We're going to do one episode devoted to Jamie fixing boxing because – well, that sounds wrong. He's not, he's not making sure somebody wins a boxing match. <laughs> he's going to tell us – multiple times I have heard you go on about how a box presentation should be. And how if you just had the rights, you could fix so many problems with some of these boxes. And I think that would be a very interesting deep dive. But I mean, that's yeah. another day. It's the same as like a book cover, you know. Don't, exactly. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a game by its box. Fair. But you do. You do. They are making a color theory uh, faux pas by having the colors of oxidized brass on the box in a very washed out. And it's, I think it's supposed to be mustard yellow, but kind of looks vaguely like baby poop yellow. Yeah, it does. Um, and the box is heavy. There's like 300 wooden components in it, which they don't show terribly well. Because oh. it's one of those games where it's just like, oh, I want to tear that apart and use it for other stuff and never be able to put it back together because I'm that gremlin. I think, I think that they were trying to... It is. I think that they were trying to represent uh, what type of printing would have been available in the 1920s. 
right? And and that's where the design and all the styling comes from. That and makes a lot of sense. Kind of that that historical aspect from it, but unfortunately, it did not translate well into something that was direct sales. So, and this is also another one of those examples too, where we didn't unbox a copy and sit down and play it. Yeah. And so we can't speak as educatedly as normal when we none of us have ever played that game. That's true. So now Alexis is going to go play it, and then she'll just tell us all, here's what really happens. See, it's the same thing as the, uh, I don't know, I don't want to spend that much money on it. Oh, because it's an $80 game. Right. Yeah. Well, we're going to give Alexis a chance to go and make a store copy, open it up, and give it a play through, okay. and come back and talk to us about it. But let's talk about some games we actually have played or at least been in stock. And that comes from a Polygon article, The Best New Tabletop RPG Books of 2023. Now, this article is fun because it's going to talk about some RPGs that I've gotten to play. I think, Alexis, you've been down with that. That's Ariel. That's, That's Ariel. Ariel that I was looking mm-hmm. at. But I think, have you played any of these? Probably not. That's not your jam. My bad. It's all good. But... I will tell you one of the things that <laughs> that shocked me about this article. It has absolutely nothing to do with the RPGs. It's the fact that the article starts with the January leak of Wizards of the Coast plans to amend the open gaming license rock the tabletop role-playing game industry. And I forgot, oh my gosh, that was this year. At the beginning of this year is when all of that happened. Yeah. This year was also the D&D movie. Yeah, Hasbro Hasbro had a very up and down year. That they did. Yeah, because that uh, the OGL snafu. Uh, there was a ton of people who boycotted going to see the D and D movie, mm-hmm. and then the keys from the Golden Vault, which was the tie-in multi-part adventure for Dungeons Dragons Fifth Edition, didn't do great because it also came out right in the middle of all that craziness that was happening. Not only that, but then there was uh, questions about some racial profiling in Starjammer with the Hedonese race. Uh, there was also the, uh, ooh, I just had it. There was layoffs there. at the end there of were, last year, or in January of, of 2023. And there were there's layoffs Hadro. now. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't put the article because I didn't want to belabor it at, at this point, but uh, the people that, one of the interesting quotes I found is the people that worked on Baldur's Gate 3 arguably one of the most successful things to come out of Dungeons and Dragons this year, uh, basically has said that none of the staff that they worked with in creating the game are still working uh, at Wizards of the Coast. They have been let go. And that is really sad, and we hope the best for them. Um, But one of the other things was, oh, I had it again and I lost it. What was Oh, AI, the AI art controversy that is now still plaguing. In uh, Bigsby's? In Bigsby's, and then apparently there's been some questions of if it's in the core rulebook now that's going to be coming out for the fabled one D&D, as everyone else will call it, 5.5. But... 5.1. 5.1. That's what Ryan's calling it. Because she thinks there's... They think that there's going to be even more than that? No, she's... Because D&D won, but it's really still Uh, 5.1. 5.1. They're clever. They're clever. Yeah. I enjoy their humor. Anyways, let's talk about some RPGs that weren't as controversial that happened this year that maybe some people that boycotted uh, Dungeons & Dragons might have played. First up was Avatar Legends, the role-playing game. That one was actually, I, I got to play a little bit of it, and it's powered by the Apocalypse system, which I will always enjoy. Uh, one of my favorite games, City of Mist, uses it. And honestly, I do really feel like it gave the flexibility that I think is required in something like the Avatar series. Because you got to have people being creative with how they're going to throw stones at each other. 
and how they're going to blow wind at each other. And that really gave the flexibility to do that. It wasn't just like a, here, cast a spell of blow wind. <laughs> That's some good Foley work right there. So I don't, I don't play the RPGs much. Right. There's some that I want to, but whatever. That's a different topic. We can make that happen. Um, so I look at RPGs kind of the same way I look at Warhammer, which is more numbers-based. Oh, okay. And I can tell you that Avatar did really well. Really? Constantly needing to restock it. Huh. Yeah. And that's that's how my something. brain tracks these things. Like same with Warhammer. I it's wish like, that yeah, they cool. would bring some of the books that were from we we backed at the Kickstarter and it yes. had some exclusive books. And I wish that they would just say, "Hey, they're not going to be exclusive. Let's put these out there for everybody to use and play with." They were because they were they print they took like ten little stories and com- combined them all together into one hardback book. Um, and it's what's there? There's an uncle in the Avatar. Iroh. Uncle Iroh. It, it, it was Uncle Iroh's handbook or something like that. Was the name okay. of his book. I, I have I have never seen anything for like a show or a cartoon or anything for Avatar. So I only know what has happened in internet memes. That's all I know. So that pretty much probably fills in most of the gaps. Uh, basically. There's four nations. Each nation has kind of a, a special ability to control an element. And then using that ability... What are, what are you snickering about? No, I was laughing about the nations. I I don't want to change the subject. No, hit me. <laughs> when I talk about the fire that happened at my apartment, I say the fire nation attacked. It's in reference to that. It is. It's really funny. That's yeah. that's a way to um, <laughs> really... Get... Process your trauma. Yeah, that's good exactly, for you. Exactly. I had that exact conversation this weekend. Uh, but basically, there's also one person throughout the whole entire world that has powers, all four of the powers together. They are known as the Avatar, and they have a, a karmatic cycle where they're reborn each generation. So that's a lot of what the story comes from. So you could play as an Avatar. You could play as just normal people that throw fireballs or, or stones and things or like that. Or blow air. <laughs> or blow air. It's true. That, that means that's what I said like makes that. a whole lot more sense to the joke that you were then making after that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in the book, though, as I understood it, allows you to play in the ancient past in the time of Aang, who yes. was the, the, the primary protagonist. Of the first series, yep. Of the first series, or Korra, who is the protagonist in the second series, right? Namesake of my dog, yes. Her name is Korra. Because basically she's so feisty that the scene where she comes out is like, I'm the Avatar, and just starts throwing around the elements. That's very much the same energy my dog has, and it's dangerous. Um, the second game uh, that they listed is something I've never heard of. Ariel, are you familiar with this one, Jamie? Um, this one, Barkeep on the Borderlands? Yeah, Barkeep not one on the that Borderlands. we've personally stalked. I, I don't know. I have nothing on this one. It's kind of giving, like... Tea Time Adventures a little bit. Yeah, it reminds me also of, um, shoot, it's not Girl by Moonlight. Into the, what was another like indie one that we got recently? I don't know. Well, I'm there's sorry. a there's a uh, New York Times bestselling book that it kind of gave me a little bit of vibes too. Uh, Lot Legends and Lattes. Oh. Which was really good. I, I highly recommend that the audio book for anybody that's on there. But then there was. I mean, there's so many, you know, so many um, RPGs that are set in the bar, right? Or yeah. they start in the bar, they end in the bar, they're always in the bar. Red Dragon it's a Inn, exactly. Literally, entire board game series. There was a an old Isaac Asimov 
book that I was trying to remember the name of that was the entire the a guy becomes immortal and he runs a bar and like every 20 or 30 years he goes on a quest and then he comes back with a different hairstyle or something and says like oh it's you know my uncle left me this bar or whatever and mm. that sort of a thing too so well in this game uh this comes directly from the article. Filled with charmingly silly art and ideas, the setting agnostic book details an adventure where players go on a pub crawl in search of a lost antidote for a poisoned monarch. Of course, staying on mission is a challenge when you're drinking heavily, running the risk of handling, handling over oh, handing over control of your character to another player if you get too drunk. And there are endless strange happenings to sidetrack you, from striking fire elementals to a black dragon wearing a trench coat demanding free beer. The mini bars can also easily be ported to other adventures for some goofy fun. Well, now I want to play it. I know. <laughs> and it's setting agnostic, so you can just port it into whatever system you want. Cyberpunk? It's there. Dungeons oh, yeah. and Dragons? It's there. <laughs> uh, well, it's just like even Christmas parties, right? All good parties end up in the kitchen. Just a you know another version of a kitchen. It's true. It's true. Bars. That needs to be their slogan. Bars. It's just another name for a kitchen. Yeah. 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 I mean, depending on whose kitchen you're in, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, the next one is actually one we've talked about on this podcast before. Actually, on uh, there was a, a top ten list we were covering, or mm-hmm. best of the year list we were covering on the last episode. That's Fabula Ultima, the Final Fantasy inspired uh, JRPG RPG. Uh, and it is, again, I'll say again, spectacular, has a lot of fun elements to it. Uh, I think it's a quick in, quick out, but it gives you a lot to work with there. Yeah, that one, I think, were we waiting on reprints for that again? Yes. Yeah, because yeah. we've been out of it for a while, so we just got to wait for them to make some more books. You know who surprisingly really liked Fabula Ultima? Gen Z Cozy Gamers. Really? Yeah, it's it's kind of focuses from what I've at least heard of it because I'm chronically online and on YouTube. Um, the emotional bond between your party, um, you have a cute little magical tent. Uh, the one person who actually did play it in the store that I touched just random customer passing by was telling me about their slumber parties in this magical tent, which <laughs> apparently they made really big. See, I assume... It's like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the yeah. inside than on the outside. Oh, that'd be amazing. I, I, I always thought that the Cozy Gamers would go more towards Ryotama, which is kind of you like a so. JRPG. But yeah, I could actually I, see where I think this would feel. I they just like the art better. So it's just like, you know, I'll you know, slay the evil lich lord at uh, lunch. And then for supper, we can have a manly petty. Treat yourself. <laughs> yeah. Treat yourself. Uh, the next one on the list is another one that I haven't heard of. I don't know if you guys have, but it is Flea Mortals. Uh, from the article, uh, MCDM, which is uh, the cup publisher, reaches back to the fourth edition of Dungeons & Dragons to reinvent the fifth edition Monster Manual. Flea Mortals, making a planning complex combat easy on a Dungeon Master by grouping creatures into encounters where the combatants have their own distinct roles, powers, and tactics. The book also contains plenty of bosses and even entire rival parties you can build a campaign around, with special actions for the villain and the layers to make the cinematic fights even more memorable. Adding gorgeous art, and this book is sure to provide plenty of inspiration when planning adventures at every level. I I think we talked about this one, but we ultimately didn't pull the trigger on it because we already were carrying the series, The Monsters Know What They're Doing, Mm -hmm. which talks about a lot of these 
things with monsters aren't stupid and they built their lair for a purposeful reason and you know they know how to guard and defend their lair and using monsters to to actually you know really shake things up with your characters so I, I remember, I think we talked about this one and just didn't pull the trigger on it because we didn't think that it had the, the name recognition as the Monsters Know What They Do, They're Doing series. You had chosen your alliances and you honored them. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, we could pull it in. Anybody wants it. We could always pull it in as an extra book, but we, we've been trying to keep those other ones in stock most of the time. Yeah. There's four of them now. The Monsters Know What They're Doing, the Monsters Still Know What They're Doing. Then there was one just to help the party stay alive because the DM just got these two books called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. And then there was a fourth book, too. More. M-O-A-R? More Monsters Know What They're Doing? Yeah, I think that might have been it, yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Uh, Next up is one that I actually kickstarted back in the day, and that's Helena's Guide to Monster Hunting. Uh, Filled with puns and quirky characters and epic boss fights uh, that can be modified for multiple levels of play, Helena's Guide to Monster Hunting works well both a book of one-shots or a lighthearted campaign that suits a rotating cast. So I really liked this one and why I picked it out was, first of all, it had some monster hunter mechanics in it, like you have to hunt these monsters to build these weapons. I like that mechanic. They also had a Pokemon mechanic so that if you wanted to have your character be able to contain monsters but not be more like a druid where you transform into them and just have like a bunch of familiars, you could do that. Uh, But they also had a... I was okay with it. There was a warlock subclass they threw in there that basically made you have a symbiote, like Venom. And that was kind of fun, but I never actually felt like it. I, I could work it into a system. It was never as good as I wanted to go to a DM and say, please, sir, let me homebrew this. Um, I'll just do it directly from the books and agitate Jamie by being a monk. So there's that. Next up is the Level Up Advanced 5th Edition Dungeon Delver's Guide, which I think... We have that. We've carried um, all the advanced fifth edition stuff. It's it, the the whole series is basically like you want more classes, no problem. You want more character types, no problem. You want more professions, no problem. You want more weapons, no problem. You know, just like more of everything. And it really, uh, in a lot of ways, it really felt like to me that they had introduced a lot of things very similar to second edition or um, fourth edition where it was just more of everything and more complex fighting rules more complex equipment more complex magic and I mean you I think Ariel you played more of it than I did oh yeah I bought every single thing that they've made uh, to date because I'm a simp can I say that word I think yep I yep can. that's that's safe oh good <laughs> I'll keep listing my four-letter words. I still love, um, but yeah, no. Um, the books are beautiful for one. Um, beautiful are on the outside. The inside is very well done. Like they actually took some TLC at the layout of it, which is something you can't always say. I'm just going to throw Cobalt Press under the bus because it's like, ooh, glorious full art page, and then uh, yeah, just the page of the text here. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> it probably also keeps printing costs down because I'm pretty sure if you're removed, most of they are from the level up books and like the like very nifty way. It's like oh, the found paper handout that tells you how to unlock this character thing. Yeah, they they could have made that a paragraph, but instead you got this beautiful graphic. Well, and that's another one that we're I think we're completely out of them again, waiting for another round of them because I've been backing them multiple times as Kickstarters. So when they do a Kickstarter, then I get a reprint. Of the, we get the new book and then reprints of all the old books again. Yeah. 
And so um, I think I know, I think we found, I found a source, that place in Kentucky where we can actually just get restocks on them. Studio whatever or something. I don't know. We okay. can talk about it later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's but, sleeping on the creature books, though. I don't know why we still have those in stock. They're amazing. Really? Yes. I I bought the second one. I actually bought two copies of it. And what makes a lot of love, love stuff really good is it's like the Majima Yellow tell you, it's like, oh, this creature's found this habitat. Oh, they eat adventurers. They're scary. They shoot acid. Um, but if level up, it'll actually go into kind of more of the thought process of the monster. And uh, especially for the dragons that they have, you'll actually be able to, like, characterize your dragon really well using their information. I think there's even, like, if I'm remembering correctly, some tables in the back to, like, set up your encounter for some of these, like, big, bad, impressive monsters. Or, like, tactics for running goblins, because everyone likes to dunk on them. That's fair. So basically the books, they, they not only tell you the stats, but they're also giving you a kind of like a walkthrough of how to play the monsters yeah i don't think they i don't remember oh. they do for like every monster but for like you know impressive the ones definitely or like you know the poster children i'm pretty sure there's a section on like mimics you know your goblins your things that you're actually going to encounter because it's like you only need to know how to run so many you know ancient blue dragons if you have multiple in a campaign we need to know what you're doing <laughs> why fair fair point speaking of dragons uh, the next one is the Lord of the Rings role-playing 5e, which I have some personal feelings about trying to role-play in the Lord of the Rings universe. Um, I think the Lord of the Rings universe is fine. I like the movies. I think they're great. I can already sense Jamie starting to judge me for what's about to come out of my mouth. I don't think it's a good role-playing setting at all. It's It's... It's low fantasy for the most part, right? It's not high magic anywhere. I mean, if you think about it, Gandalf doesn't really do a lot of magic spells. He does not. He does a few. And he, when he does, they're very impactful. But for the most part, he's got a sword and a, and a staff, and he's going into wading into the pile of goblins with everybody else, right? So it's a, I mean, it's, it's a, it could be interchangeable with almost any other low fantasy setting as well it's mm -hmm. just a nostalgia play i think and i mean but i know ariel has again got i think all the books for this one too yes yes i do because <laughs> there was the there was the one ring which is a d6 system i mm -hmm. think and then there's the lord of the rings role playing which is the fifth edition port of that same series because free league has done that now with multiple different series where and, and even now Cube Seven's gotten in on the action because they had the, the Lord of the Rings role playing game system and now we just had last week or two weeks ago the Doctor Who in fifth edition version of the book. So you know, we've seen multiple people, multiple companies take here's our this one IP, we're gonna make its own system and we're gonna make a fifth edition port for those people who can't move on beyond fifth edition apparently. It's a staple. It's it's one of the hardest systems to really learn when you're a new player, but it's what everyone seems to want to get started on, so. That and the One Ring, at least the first edition, had some pretty glaring problems, which I got to experience first. I'm still mad about it. I'm like a toilet plunger. I just keep bringing up old messes here. Go on. Um, okay, I'll tell you the drama. So, the One Ring, first edition, they're on the second edition now. This is not about the second edition. I'm not going to throw that one under the bus. But I made a Mirkwood elf that lived in Mirkwood been there for a thousand years and thanks to the dice rolls on the elf path the clear road through Mirkwood 
I almost died because of rain <laughs> on the paved road through Mirkwood as a ranger. And I don't know how. <laughs> Just normal rain. No, no, nothing. It was like that was the only thing that was going on. I was walking on the road, fuck for my life. <laughs> and um, yeah, the entire thing just kind of it was like it felt like man versus nature, except for the nature was the Sauron rune die that was the crit fail for the thing. Oh. Um, and sometimes they'd be like, okay, you're going to roll two d six. The DC is fourteen, guys. You don't have enough dice to succeed. You have to hope you get a Gandalf rune to succeed. Gandalf ain't never showed up for me, not once. You know who was there? My homie, my ride or die, Sauron. <laughs> this might explain why Ariel is so drawn to being the evil characters. Yes, it was my birthright. It was foretold in my die rolls. I see some of my army of orcs. See what the rent is on Isengard this time of year. <laughs> Speaking of dark things and people becoming and realizing dark elements of their own life, the next game is one that I'm actually really excited about. I've listened to the podcast a few times. Uh, it's called The Old Gods of Appalachia. That one just looks really neat. It I, looks so good. I went to a little seminar thing for uh, the people who made it when I went to ACD Games Day at the beginning Monty of the year. Cook Games. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what it was. Thank you. Um, and I was interested. And we can't keep it in stock. Yeah. It's on back order at multiple places. Because just the, the front cover is... And the, the Appalachian Mountains in general are just very interesting to me and all the lore there and the fact that it, you can relate it to stuff that you've learned about in real life, whether or not it's true, whatever, but it's just interesting. Uh, I was looking at an infographic the other day where someone was showing the height of you know the Colorado mountain range yeah. and the Appalachians are just so much smaller and someone commented like, oh, the Appalachians are anything. And then someone said, no, they've just been around for so long Forever. that they have grown and shrunk back down. And that is why there's so much evil inside of them, <laughs> according to the books. Um, but no, this is, if you listen to the podcast, it's very much simple people having to deal with complex evil. Uh, it it definitely feels like more of a supernatural-leaning true detective type show. Uh, if you're familiar with HBO, I look to Alexis as if she watches things and she doesn't. I do, I do just not things that... I don't know. It's fair. Weird day. things, I guess. Yeah. Old Gods of Appalachia is just a hillbilly version of Delta Green. Yes. <laughs> I'm not wrong. You're not wrong, but I think you've only sold it more. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. And there, there's so much great trauma to inflict upon your players. Oh, I knew this would be up your alley. Oh, yes. No, I, I've actually ported one of these into D&D, and you're going to get traumatized, too. Don't worry. It'll be great. Um my favorite single <laughs> creature in this entire book, and they do give you stat block for it, is Skin Tom. Everybody hates it. 10 out of 10. Would recommend. I might have to listen to the podcast. I haven't. It's, so it, when it starts out, it's very much like a one person just telling a story. Yeah. They start adding new characters in as you go. So it gets a little bit easier once you feel like it's more of a drama instead of just okay. a narrative. Um, but yeah, it's worth your time. It's a great cool. backdrop for scrubbing toilet. That's what you listen to when you're yes, cleaning here. <laughs> it's like, this is going somewhere. This is like, oh, yes. Murder and witches. So the last two games on here, though, are kind of, uh, they're, they're things that we already know much, uh, pretty much all about. Uh, Pathfinder, the player's core book, uh, which was, you know, the second edition came out. 
uh, two years ago? This is the revised one. This is the revised one, with yes. With the scrubbing of the OGL, and now it's got it uses orc underneath of it as opposed to OGL. Which was their way of saying, we're so much better than D&D, please come play us. It worked. It sold, it sold out the entire print run. I don't think we can even get a restock right now. Again, yeah. we're waiting for them to do another print run yeah. of the GM core and the player core. God, I hope they make the sketch cover again. That's what I was gonna say. Do we have the base no, game? They we said, just the no, they said. Yeah, I asked. Um, I asked Mike. Um, is a, a guy I know that works for Paizo, and he said that the sketch covers were a one and done. Oh, I have such regret that you didn't get one. I had one, and then I had handed it over to a customer. Oh, I'm, so you had one set aside for yes, you, and you let a customer buy it. Yes. That's very nice of you. Look at you. This is the type of quality that you get. You come to Red Raccoon Games. We will we will sacrifice our own desires to make you happy. You know what? I'll I'll just take some white out and I'll just color inside the line. <laughs> make your own sketchbook. That's right. <laughs> uh, and the last one being straight from uh, Wizards of the Coast. That's Fandelver and below the Shattered Obelisk, which I have not opened up because uh, the campaign that Jamie runs that I play in. They started with the Fandelver 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 Fandelver. Uh, like starter box, yeah, and then they proceeded past that. No, so. we never actually played in Fandelver. Oh, so we've never no the the guys. So okay, so I said, hey, I want to run a D and D game, and I was talking to some guys, and they're like, I haven't played since high school. I would love to play. You know, nobody's played since second edition. Everybody's roughly my age, and. So the first time they came over, I handed everybody a starter character saying, let's just play and do a session, and then you can go back and make new characters, and, um, and then we'll go from there, right? Because I knew that I wanted to run Dragon Heist, which is set in Waterdeep, because Waterdeep's my favorite setting for, 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 the, for D&D in general. And so they used the starter characters which all make have various references to Fandelver on the starter characters. But then I said, okay, second session, hey, everybody make new characters. And they were all like, nah, I kind of like this one. And so they're still using the starter characters from, so, so they, they all have these references on their character sheets to Fandelver, but they have, this campaign has never been there. So. Well, never mind. Maybe I can actually pop open that book now. Because yeah. I just I just assume we naturally be going there, but I think that we were talking about it a little bit before the podcast. It was surprising to some of you that it was on this list, correct? Uh, it it hasn't sold great, honestly. It it's and I think it's all part of. Um, well, I think there's two factors. I think one we touched on just a little bit ago, which is Hasbro not having a good year, public relations wise, and. Also, we know there's a new version of D&D coming out, and I think a lot of people are saying, well, let's wait for that. Even though Wizards of the Coast continually says over and over and over again that everything, all 5th edition content, so all the campaign books will all be D&D 1 compatible. I don't know, maybe there's some distrust there. Yeah. <gasps> what? I'm still sad that they dropped like the hottest cover art of 2023, and... Everyone just slept on it. Yeah. Um, well, it's probably because they also moved the away from... The alt-cover one? Yeah, yeah it's, it's so cool. pretty. They even made, like, play mats and, like, dice trays. They had, like, an entire, like, accessory kit you get for it. Um, but I think since they moved the starter box to Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, 
and they changed the way the character sheets look in that, which I was shocked and poorly went up and so it's like, I can teach him how to play D&D with a starter set. And then I just looked at it, it's just like. They did that abbreviated one, didn't they? Yeah, which is really annoying because it's like, it only tells you the skills you're proficient in in the new starter. Like, oh. So if you call for it's like, hey, can you give me a acrobatics roll? It's not listening. You wouldn't know it's a stat. Oh. You would not know it's a stat. Not that I have a zero in it. You just It's just not listening. Yeah. So what happens if you have a negative in something? Um, you have to do the math yourself and figure it out with your ability scores. Yeah. That seems silly. Yeah. it's. I mean, I get that they wanted the postcard, but neither here nor there. Um, I, I, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think that it's... Um, uh, interesting that the books are selling so poorly at the same time as our Dungeons and Dragons Adventures leagues are selling out every time and we probably need to find another DM to you know, do a third table and our learn to play Dungeons and Dragons sells out every time we do it. We do it every other week and it's sold out every, every session we have and yet some of these books are just not selling at all. The, some mm. of the new ones. So it's just, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Very much so. Although there's no toasters, so maybe we need a new book focusing on the legacy of the toaster. I mean... That's a deep cut from yeah. the last podcast episode. If, if you have not listened yeah. to that, go back. It's worth it. We, we have fun. Um, I'm DMing for a bunch of junior hires, and there's one super creative kid that has created this whole lore about this toast alternate reality that he's trying to reach, uh, mainly to get a battle axe named the toaster. <laughs> and um, the genders are bread and butter mm-hmm. in this world. And uh, he, I, he, I did not ask for this. <laughs> I did not prompt him on this. He just started talking, and I just chose not to stop him. And now... I think uh, a third of the party, which is about like six kids, uh, are now believers in this toast cult, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's looking like it's gonna be the whole entire party. I might have to change the whole entire campaign to actually be in this toast so world. So are they all <laughs> warlocks? No. Of the great toasty one? No, no. So it's not necessarily that there is a a toast deity. It is merely that there is a dimension in which toast is sentient, mm-hmm. as well as butter, and that that is. That is part of the process of, of life in this world. Uh, but there is a legendary weapon there that can toast things as you cut with it. There's no great yeast progenitor that has given rise. So we <laughs> haven't gotten into the eldritch horror of the Toast universe yet, but I'm going to include that next time I can think about it. This yes. is why we have to get those stupid cameras working and do this as a video podcast, because Ariel's face when she said that was great. Just deadpan, just so serious. <laughs> Um, I need to talk to you about those cameras, by the way. Anyways, um, so obviously, many of these books you could come and get possibly at Red Raccoon Games. If not, you can order them at Red Raccoon Games. And while you're here, there's a ton of stuff in the new hotness that is worth checking out. Uh, Speaking of, one thing I want to point out right away, if I can find it again because I've forgotten the name. Oh, uh, there is the Dune Uprising. Now, this is not... This is second time that we've gotten this correct or is this a brand new release uh it's a new release we got a couple in and they sold and then ordered a couple more so i'm not sure if they ever really hit the floor until now gotcha 
Um, they were there for like a couple of days. Okay. One of the pointers was pointing out to people like, dude, you like Dune. Let's check this out. And what did you find from it? No, I'm just saying they oh. sold that fast. Oh, okay. You haven't gotten a chance yeah. to play it. Sorry. Yeah. Understood. Um, but yeah, there's quite a few new things on here. I did see uh, another game that I've actually played before, well, but we should just mention Dune Uprising is set in the kind of it's part of Dune Imperium, um, but it's actually a standalone spinoff. So it's not an expansion per se. Oh, it's a standalone spinoff. So okay. that is yeah. good to know. Uh, one game on here that I was really excited to see was the uh, sequel to uh, Sleeping Gods called Distant Skies. The original game of Sleeping Gods, you played as a crew. Uh, you went around and kind of after you've fallen through a Bermuda Triangle-like experience, uh, exploring this new world, trying to find your way back home. Uh, Distant Skies does something similar, except now you have a plane and you're able to fly around in that way. Uh, but the first game was really good. I never really got to sink all into the lore of it, but it felt like there was a lot to explore, a lot to have fun with as a party. So if you wanted to do something like a D&D type game, but not necessarily know all those mechanics, this was a great kind of alternative to that. Yeah, one of the games that I was interested coming back from um, Gen Con, and I'm dropping the, what's the kids game, the kids RPG where we just got the giant version? Oh, Quest Kids. Is it it's called Quest Kids? Quest, yeah. Kids Quest, Quest Kids. Yeah. It's a it's it's another one of those kind of we get often asked how do we have any RPG type stuff for kids to play as well. Right. And this is another one of those scenarios where a dad went, Well, if there's nothing good out there, I'm just gonna make my own. And then he did a Kickstarter for it and the Kickstarter was successful and then now it's um, and now it's just a, a published game. And it's a it's a tile based RPG game where it's kind of somewhere between an RPG and um, a dungeon crawl type of game, where you're you unveiling the tiles as you're moving around through there. And one of the things that intrigued me from uh, with the uh, Kickstarter was is that they were going to produce some giant sized versions of it. And we just got the giant sized ones now in the other day, so you can. As opposed to you could sit on a kitchen table and play with the card-based one, which we've had for a couple of weeks. But now with the giant size one, they're 18-inch by 18-inch tiles, and it's designed to play on the floor and make it a game where, you know, you're walking around and you can participate a little bit more into this RPG experience by acting some of the stuff out. And one of the interesting mechanics in it is the kindness meter. So you can, the more kind you are to the other players, the, you can get special bonuses and stuff like that. It sounds like it's kind of like inspiration, but it's for helping other people out while they're playing the game. I didn't know that was in there. That's neat. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at it. That's, I, at first I thought it was going to be like a tile laying experience that it's like a Betrayal on the House on the Hill where they all have to like be together. I'm like 18 by 18. Like kids are going to have to like stand really still on those tiles, but it looks more like you kind of spread it around the room and kind of do some jumping from mat to mat. So yeah, that, that looks really fun. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'm always trying to find that, what's that next thing when you're talking about for kids to play with, too, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, kids want to be included. Yeah. And and that's how you, you know, if you want to, how do I get my kid to put down the Xbox or the PlayStation controller or whatever it is? Well, do something with them, you know. Or you could, you know, my dad in back in the, you know, 90s, put that, shut that thing off and go outside and play. Okay, well, thanks, Dad. Appreciate you. I mean, you got your stick, you got your mud. What else would you need? (laughs) 
Thank you, Ariel. <laughs> Thank you. If only that would that were the most innocuous things that we had to play with. I mean, what else are you gonna do back when the world was in black and white? <laughs> I was thinking. He said '90s. He wasn't playing as a child in the '90s. Uh, I was high school. That was that's when I got my Nintendo. <laughs> to be fair, you're still a kid in the '90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in I was in high school in the '90s. You're, that's that's fair. I mean, it's not really a kid. I was a teenager at that point. Depends on your definition at that point, but it was yeah, definitely when yeah. my dad was telling me to shut the Nintendo off and go okay, outside and play. Fair. As opposed to the 80s would have been when he was telling me to shut off the Atari and go outside and play. <laughs> or the ColecoVision or the Intellivision. Turn off the Brontosaurus and go out and play. The the shirt I'm wearing, right? <laughs> gotta, gotta catch them all as all old classic <laughs> retro systems. Great podcasting content. Yeah, yeah. I know. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. See, video cameras, John. I, I Hey, we need to talk because I've asked you for something and I have not gotten it back information about it. So What? Oh, the firm, firmware update? Okay, yeah. we'll work on that. Yeah, cool. Okay. Dungeon Saga Saga Origins. Uh, Kickstarter based on the video game, Dungeon Saga. I've never heard of Dungeon Saga. Isn't that a video game? I thought that was a video game. I don't know. I don't know. Good podcast now. contest. Looking, looking... Uh, we did get Destiny's, since the last podcast, we did get Destiny's Witchwood, which John and I played Destiny's, the original one. And uh, it's, to me, it's Destiny's is one of the old, like, King's Quest video games, which oh. is like a point-and-click video game. Yep. But multiplayer competitive. And so it does use a laptop or an app or something and QR codes on a lot of the cards to scan them and unlock content for you. And some content is for you privately. Other content is for everybody at the table knows what's going on. And everybody at the table has a, is playing a different character with a different destiny. But our destinies are intertwined because they are all set in the same area. I don't know. I thought, John, I had a good time playing that one. I thought it was I really too. interesting. So it. It definitely lo- you walked away with a narrative, which is always a check mark for me whenever I'm playing a board game. Like I want to walk away with a story, whether in game or out of game. Uh, but it definitely there was a weird level of competition that you didn't know because there might be like I might get an item that's important for me, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's also important for somebody else. So when they find out I have that item, all of a sudden their focus now shifts to me. But I don't know why. And the way the narrative plays out, it is – I the only issue I have with this game is I don't think it would have a lot of replayability. Like once you play an episode, I don't really think you could play that episode again very easily. Yeah, but there's God's plenty of uh, exit games and unlock games and everything that we have or Sherlock Holmes games where you play it once and once you know the answer, you know the answer. Yep. So, because the campaign was multifaceted, and I think it was spread out over eight sessions. So, eight session long campaign, which took us a couple of hours to play through, mm-hmm. is not unreasonable. And the Witchwood uh, Kickstarter that we just got in adds on to that, and it brings all new content into it. So, you got we got the Witchwood expansion in the big storage box, which is designed to hold all your different Destiny's content. So you had a whole new campaign, and you got the big storage box. Then we got the there's one of the uh, like a module that makes it into a two versus two game instead of a three person three person game, 
and then um, Fate and Bound was just another campaign experience for the game as well. So all hmm. kinds of new content for anybody who enjoyed playing Destinies. Would you say that Destinies is more or less replayable than something like Gloomhaven, like even like Jaws of the Lion, where it's just like, oh no, it's the same story, but if you have different characters, then it's just like, this is a different experience. I think I think that that's fair to say that it's different experience, but there's there's maybe not as much cu- character customization in Destinies as there is in like a Gloomhaven kind of game. Agreed. You are assigned your character. Mm-hmm. That character has a story path. And what we found is that as we were playing the game, you know, you get hints, but at the end of it, we just kind of shared what each of our characters were trying to do just because, you know, post-game talk and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then I knew everything that the other characters were wanting to do. So if I ever replayed the game, I, I kind of already knew the map. Right. Whereas with with something like Gloomhaven or, or the Frosthaven, I feel like there are choices that you can make that might differentiate what your experience is. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I I would say less than Gloomhaven okay. and, and Frosthaven if I were throwing that out there. Uh, any other games you guys are wanting to talk about? There's some small ones on there. Well, smaller, more casual. I don't know which ones you guys have talked about on the last podcast. Give it a shot. Um, well, I know the same game. We just got that one in. That kind of reminds me of like the... Uh, is a hot dog a hamburger or is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hamburger a sandwich? It's the eternal question. Yes, exactly. Is a taco a sandwich? <laughs> right. Um, it's got bread on both <laughs> sides of it, meat in the middle. Yeah. It, so you you have one card and then, I don't know, one of the examples was like pizza cutter. And then you choose unicycle and then you have to describe how similar they are, how different they are, and why. Interesting. It looks looks like a fun little casual kind of party game. So many people have come in asking for games like that, especially during the holiday times. That that would have been nice to be able to recommend. Um, Flourish? Did you talk about that one? We did not talk about Flourish. Well, maybe a little bit. Go on. Tell us more about it. I don't know too much. It just looked really pretty to me. I'm a sucker for pretty green. green, Nature, animals, trees. Yes. That's all. What's this bag? We did get a cute little Charlie Brown game that didn't show up until Friday. Perfect timing. Yeah. So it was a Charlie Brown Christmas game. So that was kind of fun. And then another quick little simple one we got was it's it looks like it's basically past the pigs, but with the Coca-Cola polar bears. So just a simple kind of push your luck bear rolling game. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are into bear rolling and I finally found a board game that's going to apply to your interests. Uh, when would be a good day for people to come in this week to Red Raccoon or to pick that up? What other events could they maybe be participating in? I'm I'm still stuck into the if you're into bear rolling <laughs> as a phrase. You brought it up. I just <laughs> so yes, thank you. Lots <laughs> of stuff going on um, at the store, but it's there's no we didn't schedule any special events right now. Uh, for this, the next week or so, because, you know, the big things coming up are, of course, New Year's Day. The store will be closed. Um, so the Saturday the 30th, we're going to close a little bit early because we're doing the Red Raccoon Christmas party. And we're going to, uh, Kelly is planning on carb loading everybody, which is exactly what the staff wants, especially the mac and cheese and the garlic bread. 
Uh, so at this point, it's more. It's not garlic bread. It's bread garlic because there is more <laughs> garlic than bread on there. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's just butter that some yeast fell into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys, I mean, I watch her make it, right? She makes a big pan of garlic and butter, you know, but it's been, the garlic's been simmering in the butter, and she just dunks the bread in it. Like, when I was a kid, my mom would take... Like a brush. And she yeah. would yeah, brush yeah. it on the bread. And, no, no, Kelly's like, dunk, flip it over, dunk the other side. It's more like somebody's making French toast. <laughs> That kind of dunking the bread, right, for, to make the garlic bread. I am usually not a fan of foods that are a challenge to eat. So, like, hot wings and stuff like that, not really my forte. This is one of the things that is so good, but yet such an obstacle to tell my body that it deserves to have this. It <laughs> is... Leave your dignity at the door. I know, I know. If you aren't eating it just like this, just like a raccoon <laughs> over a garbage can... <laughs> Uh, in a back alley, then I really don't know why you're not living your best life. It's true. Is I'm it, just limiting myself. Is there going to be peasant bread? I don't know. She just got a new uh, oven, bread oven thingy oh, okay. that she wanted for Christmas. So I don't know what is going to be made in said bread oven thing. So cool. it's like a cast iron bread oven that she wanted. So I what, got her for What's present, peasant bread? Good. Okay. <laughs> it's sure. uh, I don't... <laughs> actually know what makes peasant bread different from any other type of bread it was a recipe my friend well you know chris i'm aware he um during covid everybody was making bread and muffins and cookies online right my mm-hmm. facebook feed was just non-stop of what people who wants making. a sourdough so- starter yeah exactly and chris uh chris and his staff would be making peasant bread and we would just be like we get him i get a text message like check your grill and there'd be a half a loaf of freshly baked peasant bread out there, which I just destroyed with just, you know, peanut butter on it. It's amazing. And it's a it's a easy bread rising one. You bake it in a bowl normally, a buttered bowl. So the bread, the outside crust gets really crunchy with the, like it almost fries with the butter while you're, where you're making it. It's really good. And, and we- because of the statement, I'm going to be having an early dinner. Thank you very much. I am now starving. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to close early on the Saturday for the party. Then we're going to be closed on Christmas or on New Year's Day because that, for that is when we always do our Secret Santa gift exchange for staff. And then after that, we get, we're open for that whole next week. But just as everybody's aware, we close down when the kids go back to school because then we've got to do inventory. And I think that that is on the 8th. Monday the 8th is when all the kids go back. Some of them go back. Some of them, the teachers have to go back and the kids have an institute day. But Monday the 8th through, at least through Wednesday, we're going to be closed doing inventory. We're, we always try to get reopened back up on the Thursday of that week. And it all depends on the counting of the inventory is easy. The reconciling of the inventory of why do we have more of this than we're supposed to or why do we have less of that than we're supposed to, the reconciling is the part that always slows us down of trying to figure out what the heck happened and why Why do we have 37 extra of this one color of paint or why do we have, why are we missing five of this board game or whatever. Now, I have to ask, as all of you being veterans of this inventory experience, does the fact that you're going to be in a new store with more space make this, like, less of a daunting task? Or because of all the product that you now are able to contain, 
is this going to be a disaster? John, you want to know a secret? Yeah. There's not any more product in this store than there was in the other <gasps> Currently. Currently. You've heard it here, for, here first, folks. Cut it out if Jamie doesn't like that I said that. No, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> it just feels so much. It does. I, I'm more excited. Okay, I, I kind of like inventory because it's a nice change of pace. Like, you're still here, but you get to, like, hang out with your coworkers while oh, you can't stop. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, it's like a sleepover, but we're not sleeping over. Jamie, you can make that happen. I'm sure OSHA would be fine with There's that. A, well, we need a tent, apparently. Oh, that's right. We yes. A, a TARDIS tent. tent. bigger on the inside. No, it's, I mean, it's, we try to have fun with, because, but there are, I usually try to do the suckiest departments myself, um, which is invariably the paint. It's always the paint. The paint is the worst category to count. I like the paint. Okay, well, then you can do the paint. I'll, <laughs> I'll do something the else. The paint, the paint and the, the minis are the two, the, like the unpainted yeah. minis. Those are like the worst two categories for me to count. But guess what? You don't have to like duck down and dig behind shelves this year. That's the big thing is is the store actually doesn't – I think we have a little bit more – well, actually, we're down because of yes. Christmas sales. But we have a little bit more than normal, but it's um, mostly in this space. It's just spread out and easier to see stuff because if you remember how many things in the old store were like on the seven-foot-tall shelf that, you know, I could reach, you know, some some other people coming in can reach, but most of our – staff members had to get a stool to even reach that top shelf. That's not how you're supposed to display things in a store, right? It does some counterproductive. We have a couple of tall shelves right now for like, especially like the Gundam area yeah. or the board, the puzzles area. But for the most part, we brought stuff down to where people can reach it. And then we made the aisles bigger so that you didn't, you know, have to try to slide past somebody all the time. So it's not a ton more stuff. We also made the step stools more conspicuous. Because yeah. I've noticed a lot of customers are like, ah, I have a problem, and there is a solution. Yeah. And then the storeroom is going to be way easier to count, too. Because anybody who was in the storeroom before, the old storeroom was only, the ceiling in there was five foot six, So that was a serious issue for me, yeah. which is why I think Ryan and Kat counted it last, last year. Because it was not, uh, not an impediment to them at all. So inventory is always a, a heck of experience, but we, we usually get lunch for everybody each day and then we, we sit down and we have like a, a communal meal while we're counting it and much BS is talked during that period of time. Would you Sorry. like a, a store corgi for inventory if you want some serotonin? For bun bun? Yes, honey bunny. <laughs> I just vote we all bring our pets. It'll be chaos. That seems disastrous. Thumbelina's is not coming. She would be so... <laughs> Charlie mad. wouldn't like it either. Yeah. Yeah, Thumbelina did not appreciate Kelly's family being at the house all night last night. Like when they left and I went, I sat down at my computer desk for a minute. She was there and she gave me an earful. Because oh. <laughs> she's 17, 18, and she's cranky and crotchety oh, at yeah. the best of times. And she just laid into me for about 20 minutes. There's apparently now a vaccine that will allow your cats to live up to 30 years. I've seen some of my friends that had Ariel Googling that were... how I do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking. I'm just thinking of some cat. serious ragamuffin old cats I've seen at like 23, 24 years old. And... This, is, this is more to improve the average, I guess I should say. That the okay. average lifespan for cats will become 30 years old. So that means so cats are going to be. be 35. Yeah. 40. 
cats could be quite more of a commitment than you realize. Well, I know feline leukemia is one of the big issues yep. that all cats have, and that's where we're constantly getting vaccinated against because it will, if the, your cat gets it, that's it's a bad bad scenario, right? Yep. So if that's we finally got something that really keeps that under control, I just it would be if she had a good quality of life, hell yeah, that'd be great. That's that's what I want, right? Gotcha. I want a good quality of life for me when I'm that old because, <laughs> you know, eight, on, on the current scale, 18 for a cat is the equivalent of like 90 years old for a human, right? Yeah. And if, if, if I'm good for me living to be 90 years old, as long as it's a good quality of life. Yeah. But like, if it's, uh, you yeah. know. I'm just imagining, this is my ragamuffin. Uh, she does sleep like Garfield, face planted down. <laughs> I just want to see what she'd look like at 30. She would just be one giant hairball hanging out of my snot. It'd be great. Uh, again, great podcasting content, but I will tell all our listeners that that did not look like a cat. That looked like someone had taken like a stuffed animal cat and like spun it around oh, a yeah. few times together. So mm-hmm. it was terrifying. Yeah, she's a Muppet. Cute. Yes. Yeah, so... We do have a ton of stuff coming up in January for everybody. I would just say that you're really going to want to watch the calendar. Um, we've got the puzzle tournament. We've got the puzzle swap. We've got uh, releases of a ton of card games. What about that thing in February that you wanted Ariel to talk about? We've got all this stuff going on in January all the way throughout the entire month. The first ever puzzle swap for Red Raccoon Games. Mm-hmm. So people can bring in puzzles that they've already done and swap them for somebody else's puzzle. And then we're going to end that same afternoon up with another one of our puzzle speed challenges that we've Ooh, done in the past. Yes. Very popular. Very popular every time we do them. And then in we, February. Sorry, real quick. Oh, Have right. we done a puzzle challenge in the new space yet? No. no. Oh. No. Because that's going to be so much nicer for people to participate in. Yeah. So if it's if it's uh, the last one we did was Ravensburger sponsored and Ravensburger rules and that was two people in a thousand piece puzzle, and I want to avoid doing that again if I, we can. I think I remember that day. There was some lull- it was like three and a half hours. Yeah, there were some people that were there in an intense amount of time. Yeah. So if, if Ravensburger is sponsoring it like they've done in the past, we usually follow their rules. If Ravensburger is not sponsoring it. It'll probably be something like two people for a 500-piece puzzle or four people for a 1,000-piece puzzle. We we should probably keep it the two people because we've already sold a lot of seats to this puzzle competition. Oh, I didn't know you had it out there already. Oh, yeah. People are real excited about it. Well, then apparently we're doing whatever Ariel already put on the thing because... Good job, Ariel. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of Ariel. Ariel... Oh. Booked a show for February. Ariel, would you I like did. to talk about the show? Absolutely. Uh, so the show is Monster Monster, and I'm really excited about this one because it is a comedy troupe uh, with some of our local, uh, one of our actually old Hero Kicks players, uh, Tyson Cox, is being the dungeon master for this comedy troupe, and it's like an hour and a half um, live play D&D comedy show uh, with audience participation. Like, there's going to be like callbacks. There's going to be, like I think, uh, might be stuff you can like throw at them that you provide throughout them. You can't just throw random things at them. I'm hoping that they have giant like D20s or like dice. They or bring something. in giant dice. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're using giant inflatable dice so that the people in the crowd can roll the dice for them. But yeah, should no, we check if they're weighted time. or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it sounds to me too. So like at Gen Con, um, I usually go see the gamers live every year, which they do a. It's a bunch of comedians mm-hmm. from zombie. 
Zombie Orifice, I think is the name of their Zombie Orifice Games. I'll cut it out later. That's fine. Yeah, I think that's the name of their group. And um, uh, they do it, or um, Tracy Hickman's Murder Breakfast, or whatever they call it. I can't remember the exact name of it, mm. but Margaret Weiss, Tracy Hickman from Dragonlands, he, he has this thing he does every year where it's like a breakfast thing, and they're playing D&D, and the, key, the crowd um, plays all the NPCs that are about to die. So, and so people die in their most spectacular fashions. So it sounds awesome. And um, we're still waiting on a couple of pieces of, uh, of like logos and stuff, things like that, to get that out there for sale. But it's, I think it's going to be 15 bucks and 20 bucks if you want a VIP seat. Uh, yeah, I think that's what it is. I know that the tickets are going to be sold through Eventbrite. Yeah, it'll be, it won't be on our page. I will have a link from our page to the Eventbrite page to sign up there. So now, are you worried that we are going to be possibly, you know, stealing a lot of Taylor Swift's attention by selling tickets to this event? Because I know that I think around the same time she's doing something. Do you think that there'll be much competition? Or she's she's doing something all the time. I know, right? Don't get me wrong. I love Taylor Swift. I don't think it's the same demographic. What? I think there's some overlap. I mean, yeah. Have you met me? But Taylor Swift is as. Gotten into every single really social grouping. I saw a video of, oh, what? It was a metal band. I don't remember. Disturbed? Is that a band? Yeah. Yes. Might have been them. Um, at a show, They're and there was this. Wow! <laughs> that's them. There was, uh, there was this girl who was in the audience, and the, the guy was like, Are you okay? You know, you look like your boyfriend brought you here, and you're confused. She's like, No, 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 I really like it. And he said something like, I know it's not Taylor Swift as a joke, and the whole crowd booed. And he goes, no, Taylor Swift's great. <laughs> it was, it was a good time. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know what we were talking about. I just, Taylor Swift distracts me. I brought it up. It's my fault. Um, but nevertheless, with that, our episode comes to a close. I'd like to thank the staff members who joined me today. And if you want your chance to talk about your tabletop with them, come and find them at Red Raccoon Games, located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois. I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the use of our theme music, and feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice, coming straight to the source by emailing us at info at redraccoongames.com, throwing the word podcast in the subject line, and you can also join us on Discord, where some of you are, and you're reaching out. And even during, I will say this, even during uh, the, the lost episode of last week, there were people that were still wanting the links about the stories that you guys covered Um so nice. I said, you know, Jamie can handle that because I wasn't actually there for the recording. And that's I, all we I don't did we we had some that we threw together right at the last second. Yeah, I don't I don't. I'll have go that. back and throw them okay. out there. The, the ones that we were talking Great. about last time. Yeah. I think we shared them in a chat. And that, teams. that podcast was all over the place. It was very ADHD. I, I heard that when I'm not here, <laughs> apparently uh, we even started off by saying this is going to be the ADHD podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my role here. I'm not the funny one. I'm just the one that knows how to break into the segments. Technical issues prevented us from publishing that yes. one. Very sad. It was actually not a bad episode, as some of you are trying to say it is. Did not, you say that? Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, yeah, sadly there was just a whine that every time I tried to fix, it wasn't working well. And I know that many of you are like, "Wait, you actually spend time editing this, John?" I'm like, "Yeah, I spend a few minutes taking care of things." Uh, but I just couldn't get it out, and so that's why we're recording uh, a week later. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, keep playing. Go watch Rebel Moon. It's worth it watching it once. You can watch the Eras Tour movie at home now. Ooh.
what we need a movie recommendation. I guess. Well, okay. Go watch so, Lord of the Rings. Okay, there it is. That's your that's your media for the week as well. Let's, Have a good one. You start it so that you uh, uh, Gondor calls for aid right at midnight. Uh, so for New Year's, you start on New Year's Eve. There's a there's a timing out there so that they light like, all the lights. Gondor calls for aid right. I used to know the exact time. I was like like two hours and eighteen minutes, but I don't think that's it. I don't remember. Yeah, if you start watching it, you have to start the the, the the Return of the King at this time in order for Gondor Calls for Ed to come out or exactly at midnight. But just the regular this version, is, not extended. This is what the missing podcast was like, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it checks out. All right. <laughs> Everybody keep playing. Bye. <laughs>